Worn by players like Michael Harris to meet the demand of elite ball players, the New Balance Fuel Cell 4040 V7 is a versatile option. The 4040 V7 is built for the athlete who needs responsiveness and ability to cut and run at their full speed. The model features a fuel cell foam underfoot and a synthetic and mesh upper to provide breathability, comfort, and a snug fit as you round the bases. The fuel cell midsole features nitrogen-infused foam specifically designed to propel athletes forward. Learn more about the 4040 at newbalance.com. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new Toyota truck. Like a rugged half-ton Tundra, workhorse by nature, powerhouse by design, the Tundra combines raw capability with premium comfort and advanced tech to fuel your wildest adventures. And with the available iForce Max hybrid powertrain, you can take electrifying horsepower farther than ever before. Or check out the fully redesigned Tacoma, delivering trail-dominating power and captivating style. The new Tacoma was born to make your off-roading dreams come true. And with new available tech, this legendary truck is getting even better. And when you buy a Toyota truck, you buy Toyota dependability, meaning your truck will hold its value long into the future. So visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. Soroka, you look so good in Boca Peralta, Manoa, Balsac, Ferrer and Nola Gilito, Castillo, Yoshida, Mosusic, Dorcado Welcome in to a mailbag edition of Fantasy Baseball today on February 10th. Frank Sample joined by the Chrissies, the Chrises, the Chris I, Towers, and the Welsh. We're going to answer a bunch of your questions. We're going to have mailbag pods coming once per week leading up to the start of the season. So continue to send in your emails or drop a question with an Apple rating and review. Welsh, I know we're talking baseball, obviously. But congrats, man. I mean, Kevin Durant to the Phoenix Suns, that's pretty awesome. I was up when it happened. I was actually up live doing some stuff and watching this stream. And then all of a sudden it's like, did Kevin Durant just get traded to the Phoenix Suns? I'm a Phoenix Suns fan, did fantasy basketball for a long time. We mortgaged the future, but I'm not going to lie. If I told you, I immediately started looking at the tickets and the ticket prices and my immediate jealousy of what I, did I see you post that you might have put in a 19 to one Phoenix Suns championship ticket right before the trade. I did. I, I saw ah. it come down from Woj and Shams and I was like, you know what? Let me go check. See if it's still up. Got it at 19 to one. I think it's plus 460 now. So uh, I feel, wow. feel pretty good about that one. That's pretty good. Towers. What's up, buddy? I mean, look, we're Knicks and, and Heat fans. It is what it is. We're not winning anything. <laughs> uh, No. Yeah, no, I, I don't. I I'm a Heat fan, kind of, I guess, but I don't really have any emotional connection to it anymore. So, you know, see if there's some cheap Nets tickets now that they've uh, completely blown it up. They they still might actually be pretty competitive. So, you know, it could be a it could be a buying opportunity. Can you name three guys on their roster that'll stay? Yeah, on their roster? <laughs> yeah. Uh, Cam Thomas, right? <laughs> he is rushing name? it right now. Three straight forty He's point amazing. games. Yeah. Uh, Nick Claxton. He's awesome. Okay. That's that's a guy. On my fantasy team, yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> here we go. Uh, the uh, Jason Kidd. <laughs> uh, um, uh, no, no, I, I, I'm, I'm at a loss. I'll give you one. Someone who used to be on their team. He's there once again. Spencer Dinwiddie. Anywho, that's that's who I was looking for. I go. think that I can is. name more New York Liberty players at this point than Brooklyn Nets. Hey, New York Liberty, <laughs> New York's team. Who would have thought? Anywho, uh, let's get into baseball because that's what people are here for. Before we get into the mailbag questions, we do have some news and notes. And that's right. It has begun. 
Injuries are abound. Aaron Ashby is dealing with a left shoulder injury and will be behind the Brewers' other starting pitchers as they enter spring training. It's uh, especially concerning because Ashby was dealing with shoulder inflammation last year and the team signed Wade Miley this offseason. So Towers, as interesting as Ashby is, he gets whiffs, he gets ground balls. This is pretty worrisome. Yeah, I'm not going to say that he's not going to contribute this season. Obviously, pitching, the nature of pitching means that there will always be opportunities in the rotation at some point, but I don't think he really matters for your standard 12-team leagues after after this news. He's not going to open the season in the rotation, I would guess, and he might not be ready for the start of the season anyway. So I uh, I would pretty much take him off my 12-team draft boards. Well, so is this a full fade on on Aaron Ashby or we just kind of wait and see. I mean, I think there's a little bit of wait and see, but I agree with towers. 100%. He is a fade. He's not a draft. If I'm in like some super deep league, maybe NFPC type of formats, I'd probably have a little bit more interest in those deeper rosters, but shoulder fatigue, this is the exact type of thing. Like we talk about guys that are injury prone, we're weary, or maybe you try to be agnostic about like with like Buxton and stuff like that. But guys that are going into the year with an injury, Mm -hmm. Those are fades for me. I don't want to mess with those guys because we don't know uh, the magnitude of they've already got their rotation set. Do they just want to put them in relief for the year thinking long term? No, thanks. The only thing I'll point out is this time last year, we got Zach Wheeler, Luis Castillo and Zach Gallen, all with shoulder injuries. And all three were awesome. Granted, all three of those also have much longer track records than someone like Aaron Ashby. But and if you jobs. play in a deeper keeper or dynasty league and you know maybe you're kind of rebuilding, Maybe it capitalize and, and look at it as a buying opportunity for Aaron Ashby. Jared Walsh is nearing a full recovery from th- thoracic outlet surgery, and he's currently penciled in as the strong side platoon at first base for the Angels. Towers, any sleeper appeal for Jared Walsh, who once hit 30 home runs? No, because uh, technically 29, not to well, actually. Uh, you. Sorry. Uh, I didn't really like him coming off that season anyway. I was pretty much out on him last year. I don't think the skill set was ever particularly strong so i uh i think he's hail only material you know what i love about podcasting is that if you say something with enough confidence you can almost make everyone believe it right so that, that was my i I'm, thinking i with only, Walsh. I only <laughs> knew because i had pulled the page up already yeah that was I, the only reason bad job by me i didn't write it down i just kind of assumed he got there but he didn't you're right 29 home runs for walsh in 2021 michael brantley said last week that he's hopeful of being ready for opening day he had surgery to repair a torn labrum in his right shoulder last august more of a deeper name five outfielder leagues just Someone, if you need batting average, uh, remember the name. Obviously, the Astros lineup is still really good. Nixon Zell has spent most of the offseason wearing a walking boot, and it's unknown if he'll be ready for opening day. Uh, The sky is blue. The last time I checked, grass is green. He's undergone two surgeries to repair a toe on his left foot. And as a result, the Reds acquired outfielder Will Benson from the Guardians for Justin Boyd, who was the 73rd overall pick in last year's draft uh welsh anything on benson i know he was pretty interesting in the minors last year 278 17 home runs 16 steals played 28 games with the guardians last year hit 182 yeah you made me laugh by the way with the sinzel thing because when you're like he's been in a boot for most of the offseason i was like oh you mean his career the entire career <laughs> benson makes sense in the move um I've never been the biggest Will Benson guy, if I'm being honest with you. I know there's a lot of other people that do really like him because of what popped in the minors, but this is the first real big pop. Uh, the year before in 2021 in AA, 14 homers, 14 stolen bases, but hit 221, hit a buck 61 when he moved up to AAA. And then last year, he kind of figured out AAA, hit a hunt, uh, 182 in the majors. I just don't think he's the type of guy that's going to really figure it out at the major league level, though. He's got huge, like crazy intangibles, but he he has held a 30% strikeout rate or higher at almost every stop of his um, professional career since 2016. And that really hasn't changed. So he's got huge, huge power uh, speed upside. I just don't think he's ever going to really, really be able to tap into it, which I think is going to be hard for him to gain a gig. Though, if there's a place, Cincinnati would be a place that he could thrive. And if he got an everyday gig, I wouldn't be shocked to see like 15, 15 out of him. But this would be um, kind of like we talked about before. It's probably like an NL only type of move. All right. That is Will Benson now with the Reds. AJ Puck will be part of a competition to be 
in the rotation for the Oakland A's this season. They also have Paul Blackburn, who was really good in the first half last year and then completely fell apart. James Caprillion, Drew Rusinski, who they signed from the KBO, Shintaro Fujinami, who they signed from Japan, and they still have a few prospects in Ken Waldachuk and J.P. Sears. Puck was great last year as a reliever, 3.12 ERA, 1.15 whip, 10.3K per nine, but Towers... Puck has not thrown more than 66 and a third innings since 2017. That is my worry with him. Yeah, I mean, he didn't throw more than two and a third innings in any of his outings last season. I think he only had eight appearances with two innings or more. So not sure how he's going to fare, but he's an incredibly talented pitcher. And the fact that we saw him succeed in a relief role, you know, I I think of someone like, Danny Duffy. I mean, this is probably six or seven years ago, but he was someone who started out as a starter, went, made the the move to the bullpen, and then came back as a starter and actually was really good. Was able to, you know, sustain the gains he made as a reliever in the starting rotation. So, I, I if he's in the rotation, I mean, my expectations aren't going to be super high, but I'm going to be interested. Yeah. All right, again, the name there, AJ Puck. Let's uh, pay attention, see what happens in spring training. Some extension news. Bo Bichette and the Blue Jays avoided arbitration by agreeing to a three-year extension, and Yu Darvish signed a six-year, $108 million extension, which will take him through his age 42 season, or he'll be 42 at the end of that year. Anyway, that you look at it, he's going to be 42 years old, which... So they also have Bogarts, which the contract ends at 41 years old. Every contract now, like every star player seems to sign through their like age 42 season. And it's like there aren't that many 40 year olds actually playing baseball at any given point. But like apparently in 2029, we're just going to half the league (laughs) is going to be 40. This is all it's. It's like competitive balance payroll stuff. It's, exactly. you know, they give these longer contracts to lower the average annual value because the average annual value is what gets counted for the competitive payroll or competitive balance tax, whatever they call it. So there, this is like, it's really like a three or four year, $108 million deal that they're just like, it's basically backloading like the Max Scherzer contract with the nationals, right? Where they defer a bunch of money. It's, it's a different version of that, I think. Though pitcher money is kind of be uh, pitchers like the new quarterbacks. Like you, you are seeing the longevity sure. of a lot of these guys, and this is obvious. Like the position player stuff, I got a hard time believing. Like Xander Bogarts is going to like hold up until his forties. Pitching is obviously a little bit different on the wear and tear. I agree, it's like uh, controlling the average salary, but I do wonder if there is something that is going on in baseball or the way that the rules are changing and constructing, where these teams know maybe a little bit more on the, how these guys are able to hold and maintain. Because it is uh, it is ironic that you see a lot of these guys that are getting these contracts past forty happen to be these big strikeout pitchers, which mm-hmm. you almost would kind of think those wouldn't be the guys. You would think it'd be maybe more control type of players that are taking off a lot of velocity, and you're seeing like Verlanders and Scherzer and guys like Darvish, you know, with bigger. Uh, you know, with bigger fastballs, being able to keep that money. It's just, it's fascinating. It's it's beyond me that they could sign this contract, but good for Darvish. We do have a comment in the YouTube chat. I wanted to mention Kyle Muller, question mark, definitely should have mentioned him in the Oakland A's competition for their rotation. They traded uh, for him this offseason in the Sean Murphy trade. So he's definitely going to be part of that mix as well. Uh, Kyle Muller with the A's. Let's get into our mailbag questions. And for those watching us live on YouTube, if you have a question, you can throw it in the chat and perhaps we'll get to some of those at the end of the podcast as well. We'll start off with the Apple podcast review questions. This one's from JRA1981. A keeper question can only keep three in a head-to-head points league. Value goes up $5 each year. Garrett Cole would go for $55 or more in our league. So he has Garrett Cole for 47, Jacob DeGrom for 20. 24, Julio Rodriguez for 15, and Dustin May for 7. Need 3. Hmm. We all agree J-Rod is yeah. a lock, yeah. so we, we lock in. I'm going to present this. To me, Jacob DeGrom is an absolute no-brainer here at yep. that mm-hmm. price. I know there's the concerns. Okay, so we've locked down those two. Now it becomes about Dustin May and that awesome contract. 
or where are you at in your league and paying big money on Garrett Cole? I would assume that's probably a higher uh, auction type of value, for, you know, into the 50s. Sometimes I'll get into the 60s. If you're in win now, I'm going to go with Cole still because it's the top of the group. But Dustin May is a really good value. So if I'm a middling team, I am going to keep Dustin May because you're going to probably be able to hold on to him for four or five years. And I, the one thing that you can think of is like, what are the chances that you could get Cole back? for cheaper than what it would cost to get Dustin May back. If that's the, or a a similar pitcher. Like I really like Dustin May. I think he's got breakout potential this season. I think he could be, you know, this year's Tony Gonsolin. Um, So like if you keep Cole for 47, can you get a pitcher like that for, you know, $12? I think that's kind of iffy given the, the likely inflation. So it might be like you can get Dustin May for seven and get Garrett Cole back for 55 versus keeping Cole for 47 and then whatever you could get for that 12 to $15. I think you're probably better off keeping May, but generally speaking, if the elite player is, is any kind of discount, you're probably better off keeping them. Yeah, and I throw into just one context, and this is actually a football keeper leagues I've done, where when you're a, mo- a couple years into these leagues and people start having really great deals, what ends up happening is those top teams with those great deals, hey, maybe someone's got Corbin Burns at you know uh, $20 or something. You then have the awesome free agents that go in and the big teams unload money. I, I just recall in a football league, Saquon Barkley got thrown back into a pool and where guys would go for like 40 or 50, he went for like 75. He went for mm-hmm. crazy amounts yeah. of money in those back years because of the deals. So to JR, whatever, whatever, like <laughs> if you're in a situation like that, like Cole is probably a no brainer if you know the Wolves are going to be attacked. I still think he's a guy, but Dustin May is a really cool value there. Yeah, I think I would go with Garrett Cole as well. And you could probably like Dustin May is someone to me that he's still kind of going to be overlooked throughout the salary cap, throughout the auction. And you'll probably like maybe you have to spend 10, 12, like $15 max. Like there'll be a little bit of inflation on him. But I think you're right, Welsh. I think, you know, someone like Garrett Cole in a league like this, he, you could probably see him go 55, 60 or, or even push above that. From yeah. JJ Power 19, I know we can't predict what may happen without shifts, but we keep men- mentioning that we shouldn't emphasize drafting steals and batting average. My question is, why aren't we focus, uh, factoring in those same predictions for pitching? If we are projecting that the rule changes are going against pitchers, then shouldn't we adjust now by drafting swing and miss pitchers as a priority? And Towers, I think this is an interesting question, and it's something I wrote about in my bust 1.0. I have Sandy Alcantara as a bust, and it hurts me to say I'm such a fraud. I loved him last year. But if you look at his strikeout rate compared to other aces that go in his range and these new rules, I think that there is a chance that Sandy Alcantara, A, gives up more hits this year, has more runners on base, and as a result, he's going to be less efficient. We're drafting him because his best skill is volume and innings pitched. If that comes back even a little bit, then you're also losing out on total strikeouts and how much that ERA and whip actually matters to your team. So I still really like Sandy, but I think he's probably being a little bit overvalued based on what he did last year. Yeah, I mean, the Marlins actually surprisingly were one of the most shift-heavy teams in baseball last season. I'm not, they were fifth in, in shift rate. I'm not sure how, you know, whether that's going to change with a, a new manager, but I I think the the way I view it is like, so think about, the value of something like FIP, right? Field independent pitching. It's a very basic stat. It's just strikeouts, walks, and home runs allowed. And it tries to predict what a pitcher's ERA is. And like as basic as that is, and as little as that accounts for quality of contact and what happens when the ball is put into play, it's still a pretty good estimator of ERA because those three things, strikeouts, walks, and home runs, do dictate a significant portion of what of the runs that a pitcher gives up. Now we have Sierra and DRA and DPR, I think is the new defensive stat from baseball prospectus and all kinds of different stuff that do a better job. They've that then fit, but I, I still think that that's a good way to think about it, which is that results on balls and play matter a lot for pitchers, but not as much as they do for hitters, I guess is the way I would put it. And then the stolen base thing, I think, is just that's, I, I think, a non 
not really a, a factor for how I'm thinking about pitchers. Like there will be some pitchers who are better or worse in this new environment as a result of it. Steals for pitchers probably shouldn't really factor in. It's probably a handful of runs at the most over the course of a season in a way that's super hard to predict. So I, I think the way I view it is just the rule changes probably matter less for individual pitchers than they will for individual batters. Does that make sense? I I think so. Like it's just hard to narrow it down to which pitchers are going to like there's going to be a league wide effect. I think we can all agree mm-hmm. on that, right? There's going to be slightly higher batting average. There's going to be more hits and we can kind of single out the left-handed hitters who we think that's going to help. But you're right. It's probably harder to figure out exactly which pitchers oh, it's going to and- hurt. But the ones that I think that it could hurt are the ones that have the lower strikeout rates and rely on ground balls as right-handed pitchers because you know we're probably going to see left-handed hitters do a little bit better so Sandy Alcantara Merrill Kelly Miles Michaelis I don't think they're just going to completely fall off but those are the first names that come to mind I I think the one thing though with like Sandy Alcantara is he's so good at getting good results on balls in play that I just I think it's probably going to matter less for him but it could it's entirely possible the other way to think about it is like Every single one of Corey Seager's plate appearances takes place as Corey Seager, a left-handed batter who pulls the ball on the ground or on a line. 20% or 40% or 50% of any given pitcher's plate appearances are going to come against left-handed batters. And so it's just the 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 changes are going to be the the effects of the shift ban are going to be concentrated among a handful of pit hitters and it's going to be spread out among all the batters that pitchers face so yeah, you're not that, saying it's another. not like a as much as it's a, a league-wide effect it's a league-wide effect to the percentage of those batters yeah. to a percentage of those so i mean yeah. you're just getting into like your fractional percentages and stuff yeah i kind of agree overall i frank i think the the best way you've put it is like the guy, I, I think the hitters are going to be the ones that are a major effect. I don't look and I don't even really know how to quantify as much on the pitching, but the guys with the lower K rates seem a little bit more susceptible to losing fantasy value. So I think inherently, like the question is like, should we be focusing more on like strikeout pitchers? I kind of always am. I kind of always am looking yeah. for higher strikeout pitchers to help me out anyways. Obviously, some uh, eating uh, innings eaters can balance out, you know, maybe your whip and uh, Sandy obviously does that, but I'm always looking for high strikeout players in general. And we probably just won't know until the end of the season, how this really is going to quantify to pitchers. But I think you both did like a really good job of breaking down both scenarios of what we're really actually looking uh, at to make one more point. Like Noah Syndergaard is famously, <laughs> The horrible. worst pitcher in yeah. baseball at holding runners. That was a, that was instantly John, the name that came John to mind. Lester Chris. is another <laughs> guy. Remember, John Lester just like refused to throw pickoff throws for like years. He had like the yips on pickoff throws. If you guys remember that, and it didn't really affect those guys. Like Noah Syndergaard historically has been someone who underperforms his peripherals a little bit. You know, his career FIP is three oh four. His career ERA is three four two. So. You know, you could see that show up a little bit. John Lester actually overperformed his estimators for most of his career. So, like, I I just – steals I don't think matter all that much. And and the, the analytical side of the game has kind of shown that over the years with that idea that, like, if you're not successfully stealing at 75%, you're not even breaking even in terms of runs added or expected runs added. You know, the the league might be at like 80% this year. That's still a pretty slim margin. One thing, not to keep belaboring this, but this is just like a really interesting point talking about this out loud. One thing that we can't know until the season is over or unless we start to get stuff maybe out of camps that you can wonder on that I'm sitting here thinking about is what if the approach for pitchers becomes a little bit different? Sandy is one of the smartest pitchers in baseball, has one of the most dominant pitches in baseball in that changeup. What if the approach becomes a tiny bit different for these guys and they go for 
more strikeouts. You know, yeah. they're not they're leaning less on their defense. Uh, this doesn't really help the cause, and we're going to go in circles and stuff like that. But a smart pitcher with a great arsenal, good command, who can go deep into games, stops. I mean, smart pitchers are going to pitch to contact, and they're going to get outs. That's something that Sandy does. What if that becomes a little bit less? And what if you saw an uptick? Not all of them, like Merrill mm-hmm. Kelly. I don't expect to like yeah to go up. But Sandy's a specific one. Like, what if he started to go into that direction, and we saw higher K numbers, and those strikeouts became more prominent because of being able to not lean on your defense a little bit more. Yeah, yeah, like Miles Michaelis, probably not going to see a jump in strikeout rate, but I could see it with Sandy because he's always been a guy who seems like he could get more strikeouts than he does. Yeah, Yeah. no, I think that's a really good call on Sandy because in 2021, his swinging strike rate was 13.3%. Last year, it came back a little bit to right around 12%. But if he can get that back up to 13%, I mean, you know, we could be looking at, you know, nine, 10 K per nine, if everything works out for him. So mm-hmm. that definitely would help. This next one's from Diener Williams, dear Alvin, Simon and Theodore. Frank, do you know this one? Uh, yeah, these are Power Rangers, right? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> this year, uh, this year, I'm taking my first shot at a few NFBC leagues, and I was wondering if you guys had any tips for helping a newbie in those more competitive money leagues. Uh, one thing that I would point out to is NFBC does a great job with their ADP. They have an awesome tool where you can adjust the dates, and you can look at the past two weeks, you can look at the past yeah. month, and I think it's really helpful to know which players are kind of moving up and down draft boards. You don't want to put too much stock into that, but it helps understand the player pool more. More So I would say Google NFBC ADP or go to nfc.shgn.com slash ADP slash baseball and then just kind of mess around with their tools and, and see which players are moving up and down and, you know, get the players, get your guys. I, I would say, look, do that in any draft, but that's something you hear often with like the higher stakes community, which is like, you know, even if you have to jump around or two, Make sure you get your guys. So that's my advice. Yeah, get your, uh, I mean, the things that are going to happen to you in your drafts, uh, catchers are going to go much higher. It's a two-catcher format, so catchers are just valued higher. Uh, steals are going to be at a premium, regardless if you want it or not. And saves are going to be at a premium, especially the top-end guys. It's going to go, those two, I think, steals and saves go at a higher rate that you're going to probably be comfortable with, especially if you played like, you know, just like, home leagues and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Like closers go crazy high. Steals are going to be at an all time premium because you're drafting so much. So um, make sure that you are prepared for catchers, steals and saves. Yep. I think that's very well said. Email, send them into fantasy baseball at cbsi.com. That is the letter I not, you know, like I from Jeremy in Louisiana. I play in a 10 team head to head categories league categories being runs, home runs, RBI steals, OPS for hitters and win saves ERA whip K per nine for pitchers. We can keep six guys for only three consecutive years and all my guys have been kept for only one year. So they are still eligible to be kept and the six keepers count as our first six round draft picks. My guys that I feel are worth keeping. Aaron Judge, Jordan Alvarez, Bo Bichette, Matt Olson, Mookie Betts, Jose Ramirez. How did you get all these players? Adolis- yeah, wait, was he just bragging? Is this a brag email? What's the question? <laughs> I don't know. Adolis Garcia, Justin Verlander, Shane McClanahan, and caps it off with, call me crazy, but my thought was to trade Judge and Verlander after coming off career years to maximize what I can get back for them and hopefully trade for a younger stud and draft picks. So... I guess I don't understand like how the trading for draft picks work because you lose your first six picks yeah, mm-hmm. or however many you keep, I presume. If you keep five, you lose your first five. And in that kind of format, you just keep the best players. You know, uh, like trading judge for younger keepers doesn't really make sense because he's the number one player or clearly a number one pick. You got to get Julio or Bobby Witt in that case, if that's what you're talking about. Yeah. And even that, like when you're talking about a two year window, I don't even know if the, the, the gap between what judge is likely to do in the next three years is, I don't know if I realistically think any of the next three years, Bobby Witt's going to be better than Aaron judge. It's certainly possible. And I think Julio Rodriguez, because he was better as a rookie, I think has less room, but like, Aaron Judge is clearly ahead of those guys right now. And so it's just a question of how much you think he's going to regress over the next couple of seasons. And there's going to be significant regression. But in this format where, you know, 
having Bobby Witt for $3 in a keeper league versus Aaron Judge for 30 that's a significant difference. In this format, I really I don't think there's any way to make up that that gap. I kind of agree. I think it's it has it's very specific. Like the idea of like, hey, I could trade Judge and blah blah blah. It's like there's only a handful of players you can get because I I hate to tell you, friendo, you got four of the first round picks yeah. already. You have your four first round picks. You've got an easy second round pick. If I'm throwing this out, by the way, I'm putting Olsen back and I'm keeping Shane McClanahan. That's me. That's my six. I'm keeping one pitcher and the five hitters. So it's like. You only have a handful of players you could even trade Judge to get. Maybe yeah. you could get a Tatis. You're not getting Acuna. Probably not getting Tatis. Maybe you could get Soto. So you have to make that determination. I agree with what Chris said here. I'm not really sure what you could do. If you could trade Verlander, I don't think he's in the cards here of what I would keep. I would obviously go get picks. And if someone wants to overwhelm you with one of those really cool keepers and a one-for-one one or something more... Okay, but dude, you got four first rounders, a second rounder, and Shea McClanahan. I mean, that's my number one like dynasty pitcher, anyways. So you're it's a very uh, fun, braggy email of amazing yeah, I, team that you have. I think the thought would be if you could turn Matt Olson and Justin Verlander into Austin Riley to name one player who's like a third rounder. You know, see if that's something you could do because then. In that instance, I would probably keep him over Shane McClanahan. But like, that's the thing is whatever trade you do, you have to get someone back who's better than your sixth best player, who in, in this instance would be, I think, either. I think Verlander, Olsen and McClanahan are probably all going to go in the same range. I think they're, you know, in ADP, they're probably all in the 35 to 50 ish range. So like you need to get someone better than any of those three. Yeah, or like he, at the end where he's like Judge and Verlander. If you could trade Judge and Verlander or Judge and Olsen and you could get Tatis or you could get Soto, that's interesting. But man, like you yeah, have man. such a small window of what you could do here. Explore it. You always should. Trades are fun. It's fun to think about that stuff. But at the end of the day, you can probably be pretty happy and the rest of your league is probably not super happy with what you get to keep. Even with it being a 10-team league, it's you'd probably need at least three of those players to get hurt to to not win this thing. So good luck, Jeremy. You know, you've, you've got a pretty good shot. One last thing on that, too. I, was, I wasn't even considering or counting the 10-man league thing. People always do this. They're like, hey, I'm in a 10-man league. I can trade this awesome guy for these three guys. It's always quality versus quantity and stuff. I want the best players in 10-man leagues. Just give mm-hmm. me the best players. I'll figure everything out. The pool is better. Uh, you could trade two or three guys. I want the best player. So even in the scenarios we're talking about, if someone was like, hey, I'll offer, you know, Manny Machado uh, for Judge, or, I, I, you know, and maybe you get a little bit on top. I want the best player. I want Judge. It's 10 man. The pool's even better. So take your take your dudes and win your league. All right. This next one's from David Deer Steer, Turnbull and Shane. Those are Spencers. Yeah, they sure are. Ooh. What should I take out of prospect rankings for Dynasty, given that they often shift dramatically within the first couple of seasons of a prospect's career based on tiny sample sizes? Now, this guy also sent in a bunch of stats, which I appreciate appreciate in the email, but it's hard to go through all of those. Well, I feel like this is a perfect question for you. You're someone who uh, ranks prospects for Dynasty. He goes on to show how Spencer Torkelson and Spencer Strider have shifted in value so much over the past year just based on the small sample size. So what kind of advice or or how would you break it down, uh, ranking prospects like this and, and how often it changes? I mean, I'm not really sure. I, I, I got to be honest with you. I'm not 100% sure what he's asking. Like, take it as seriously as you want to. I mean, like, yes, it's volatile. You're dealing with this is like uh, prospects are like the cryptocurrency. And, you know, <laughs> Fortune 500 are your uh, veterans. Judge is a Fortune 500. And, you know, uh, Corbin Carroll is Bitcoin. Like, that's what you, it is volatile. So, yes, it's going to have massive movement. We get them wrong. So you should probably always try to win now you you should take it with a grain of salt i I go with here are the players that i think are super volatile at the top end of prospect stuff i think churio is volatile right now i think ellie de la cruz is volatile Mm -hmm. i don't think jordan walker and corbett carroll and gutter henderson are volatile i'm looking for low strikeout rates i'm looking for multiple years of production uh if they had any major league stuff like corbin carroll you know succeeding him in his short stint and gutter henderson i'm looking for those things so like how should you take dynasty ranks you should take them as far as your level of comfort. If this guy's gone out and made a list of why they don't work because he's got spread, then don't draft them. Like, go to win now. I suggest to you when I do my ranks, 
You should win now in Dynasty. I go to win now because one thing I know how to do is draft prospects and I can draft them later and I can rebuild my team at later times. So, you know, maybe focus on more of a redraft base. And the last thing I'd say, this is something I think I differ from a lot of the Dynasty prospect rankers on a Dynasty list. By the time you get to around 100, you should pivot. You should pivot. If you're a win now team, pivot to more redraft ranks. If you're a um, building for the future, pivot to more prospect ranks. Like I wouldn't, I wouldn't be beholden to even my own dynasty ranks past a hundred to 150, because I think you have to kind of know the scheme of what you're going, but yeah, he's totally onto it. That same scheme though of, Hey, look at Spencer Torkelson and this track record of, uh, you know, this chart to Spencer uh, Strider. Okay. Well go do that to Bobby Witt. Go do that to Julio Rodriguez. I mean, you can play it on both sides. It's it's an imperfect science, and it makes us all uncomfortable when we see Corbin Carroll in the top 30 when he's unproven, but that's the name of the game on uh, in betting, and those people that bet on Julio Rodriguez last year, they're winning. They're paying off. Torkelson, not so much. They're upset. Yeah, he's that's upset. The, the, I think the thing to keep in mind, though, is, one, if you're comparing regular dynasty or regular prospect rankings. One thing to keep in mind is like relative to fantasy, I think regular prospect rankings probably overrate catchers. I don't even overrate is probably not the right word, but just catchers are so inherently volatile that like highly ranked catchers in your real life uh, rankings probably should be downgraded in your fantasy rankings. That's how I do mine. Specifically corner players who are slated for a corner defensive spot are probably underrated in real real life dynasty or real life prospect rankings relative to fantasy rankings. So like someone like Pete Alonzo probably was he ever like a top 25 prospect in baseball? I feel like he was like in the 50 range. He got there towards the end uh, right after his AFL stint. He was like consistently hitting. He was kind of like a top 20 guy. Yeah. Yeah. But like, you know, the kind of guy where it's just, this guy has no place to play but first base. Real life prospect rankers tend to undervalue them relative to what they're likely to do in fantasy because there's no contingency plan for Pete Alonso if he doesn't hit. Whereas, you know, a Gunnar Henderson, if he doesn't hit, he could still be a very, very good defensive third baseman. So, yeah. like, that's that's one thing to keep in mind when you're looking at real prospect rankings is certain archetypes of players tend to be over or undervalued. Yeah. And the last thing I want to add and apologies to make this longer, I was focusing, I realized this, I was focusing a little bit more on like the dynasty portion of it than mm-hmm. just like the prospect rank side of it. Prospect ranks are uh, imperfect because, you know, it's it's a weird game of future value versus now value. Some mm-hmm. people uh, purely value guys on proximity. Some are talking about the whole thing. Um, there is there's no really great way to do it. You should focus and try to find people that do it based on fantasy. That is what I do because yep. Chris is right. Like you go to um, MLB Pipeline, that's not a fantasy thing. That is you're going to see catchers like super high, and you're going to see pitch. I mean, Francisco Alvarez is like one of the number one prospects there. That's not the case in fantasy. Mm-hmm. Um, you just got to try to hope you can find the people that you trust the best that have as good a track records as possible. But I wish I had a better answer for you. That you know you've gone out and you pick two guys in the imperfect way it goes. That's that's the game. Prospects are are crazy man yeah and it's not just prospects right if you just look year over year in terms of redraft rankings we're gonna get a lot of stuff wrong that's just the name of the game if i was always told if you can if you are right 60 percent of the time in fantasy then you're doing a pretty good job so just keep that in mind let's take a break and we'll be back right after this homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping it's never just about the house or condo it's about the home And what makes a home is more than just the house or property, it's the location and neighborhood. Homes.com offers in-depth neighborhood guides with detailed video overviews, comprehensive narratives, and unbiased information from a multitude of sources. You thought we go in-depth with player analysis on fantasy baseball today? You haven't seen anything yet. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood complete with a video guide. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. When looking at local schools, they offer test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know, all in one place. Homes.com. We've done your homework. 
The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads. Nothing beats a weekend away with the family in the great outdoors, whether it's camping, hiking, river rafting, or anything in between. With third-row seating, nobody is left out. The entire family can experience the thrill together, and nobody wants a dead phone. Available dual wireless charging pads make it so nobody gets stuck, and we can check our fantasy baseball teams together. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Before we get back into the email questions, just want to remind everyone that we will be live this Sunday, Super Bowl Sunday. Not during the Super Bowl, obviously. Earlier in the day, 2 p.m. Eastern time, we'll have our third base preview. So if you're around earlier in the day and you want some fantasy baseball talk, we will be here at 2 p.m. Eastern time. Let's get back into the emails. This one's from Jake. Love the show. Been a fan for a while. Thank you, Jake. Grade the trade. 12 team head-to-head points. Daily lineups with eight keepers. All right. There's a lot going on here. I trade away Raphael Devers, Trevor Bauer, Kevin Gosman, and both of my third-round picks. I receive Juan Soto, a first-round pick, and a 17th-round pick. So that's Devers, Bauer, Gosman, and two-thirds for Soto, first-rounder, and 17th-rounder. 12-team points league. Uh, the only thing, here's the thing. I would say I'm at an A with this. Points changed it maybe a tiny bit. I was thinking categories when I first was looking at this. Getting rid of Gossman is kind of tough. Endeavors is really good there just for Soto. Bauer doesn't mean anything in this trade. I'm very curious what that five really equates yeah. to. What does that five overall pick equate to? That's probably super important in this. That's probably the difference for me between this being like a strong B and like an A minus or something like that. Maybe I'm being a little dramatic about so it. So it's an A. There eight keeper league and like obviously it's not going to be just the 96 best players who are kept but generally speaking i think that's probably so you're probably looking at the number five overall pick being equivalent to an eighth round pick like that's the kind of player you're going to get in redraft is is what i would guess and so it's just to like to play to like good players go back you know what i'm saying like yeah that, that would be my guess is like i mean let me pull up ADP and like, so we can do like an actual in, in a points league. I think the, the two third round picks, you know, probably don't have nearly as much value, but if you're saying like Juan Soto and Tristan McKenzie for Raphael Devers and Kevin Gosman. Yeah, that's a, that's a a minus to me. I think so. Yeah. And especially in a points because, Devers is good in a roto in a points league, but Juan Soto at his best is much better. But even yeah. if the first round pick you're getting is like an eighth round pick, that means the third round picks that you gave up are like tenth round picks. Yeah. So you're you're still giving up two solid players. I don't know, unless I'm not reading this correctly. That this seems like a lot. This seems I like think a it's lot fair. So I don't know. The, th- the thing to keep in mind is like what we were talking about with the others. Like if there are, play- you know, the Garrett Coles of the world, they have to go back or people can only yeah. keep guys for three years. And then if now the top, you know, eight players are really good and then the quality drops up. That's why I'm saying this is literally the difference between a solid B and an A minus to me, because if it is, I actually consider McKenzie kind of like an upper tierish player you could get. But what if it's like um, Zach Allen? You know, someone couldn't keep him. I don't know why they wouldn't, but just for argument's sake. Mm-hmm. And those third round players are more equivalent to, you know, Patrick Sandoval's and stuff like that. We're in a different pool. So I think there's a lot of variation here. You won the trade, I think. You got the best player in the trade. Just Gossman is a lot better in this format than it would be like even categories or something. Towers, did you have a grade? Uh, I, I think it's probably a B. Mm-hmm. I was going to say, I think it's pretty close. I'll go C plus, but I think I'm being a little bit too harsh on it. This one's from Miles. Hey, Oliver, Dave, and Chris. I've been trying to figure this one out and I can't I can't figure it out. It's it's completely random. If I'm thinking of the right email, I think it was like tattoo ink judges or something. Okay, that's what I I (laughs) thought like Oliver Peck was one who came to mind. I don't really know what that person does, but like I know he okay, he's a judge on Ink Master. Ink Masters. I said tattoo. Of the three of us, this is the only (laughs) podcast pairing or grouping that where all three of us have tattoos. So that's that's 
topical. I was just about to ask. I wasn't sure about your guys' uh, tattooness. I got, so. I got, I got I some. I got. Yeah. You can't really see them. What's our count? Well, can we do a count real quick? I got five. I have. Ooh. I have two. Okay, I've got. Uh, oh, how many do I have? I have one, two. I have three. I'm so, due for another one. It's been it's been like eight months. I've gone like every six months since I got my first one. Oh, let's all get a locket. Let's get a third of a locket together. We'll all get one. Two. We'll each get a piece. A third of a baseball. You sure? Yeah, a third uh, of a baseball. I was exactly. going to say, well, let's, let's get like an infinity sign together or something. Oh, <laughs> yes. Maybe some baseball seams. Yeah, baseball we'll put seams it, as an infinity sign. Yeah, we'll put it like right behind our ear or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> Anywho, we're not uh, making fun like of anyone hurt. who has those tattoos. So if you're listening, uh, I, I apologize. With second base being such a weak position this year, I found myself drafting Nico Horner late in, in the drafts as a decent upside player. Play. He should gain second base eligibility within the first five to ten games and is projected to bat leadoff for a much improved Cubs team. Fangraphs, Fangraphs has him projected for 276, 331, 397 slash with 10 home runs and 18 steals. He should have decent runs and I think he could easily surpass his stolen base projections. Uh, do you think this is a decent strategy to combat second base position scarcity? Towers, I'll throw this one to you because I know you are the resident Nico Horner fan. Yeah, I'm a Nico Horner guy. I, I like him quite a bit. I think, yeah, I agree. The 18 steals probably feels a, pr- a little low. I, he, I don't think it's an upside play, though. I think he's pretty maxed out <clears throat> in terms of his hitting. So, like, I, I'd be surprised if he hits significantly more than the 10 home runs he had last season, even with an expected rise in playing time and plate appearances. But, like, I do think there's a decent chance that he's a... Tommy Edmond-esque performer, except I think he could be a better source of batting average. It's it's a more volatile uh, profile because he's the kind of guy that I could see taking a little bit of a step back and losing playing time. But if he sustains most of the gains he made last season as a contact hitter, I think you're going to get a good batting average. I think you're going to get a decent amount of runs at the top of the Cubs lineup, and I think he's going to steal 20-plus bases. So I, I think he's a pretty valuable player. And he's one of these guys, 92nd percentile sprint speed, where given the new rules, if if he really wants to go crazy, I mean, we probably could see 25, 30, or, or maybe even more than 30 steals for Nico Horner this upcoming season. Miles also said, I've been able to grab Miguel Vargas late in drafts to pair with Nico as an additional upside play. I think that makes total sense. Like Chris was just saying, Horner is kind of like that floor, and then you want to take an upside play with Miguel Vargas, who will likely gain second base eligibility as well. I like it. This one's from Evan. I'm in a 12-team categories league where the offensive categories are runs, home runs, RBI, OBP, slug, and steals. The pitching categories are strikeouts, quality starts, wins, ERA, whip, and saves plus holds. Salary cap league with $300 budget. We can keep up to four players. For reference, the best unkept players usually go for around $45 to $55. Here are my best options. Altuve for $28. Bobby Witt for $24. Kevin Gosman for 18, Nate Lowe for 8, Gunnar Henderson for 5, Hunter Green for 6, and Nick Lodolo for 8. And again, how many do we need here? Four. Four, Four. players. Yeah. What do you guys think? Uh, and interesting, he said, I'm just going to say this real quick. His lean is Altuve, Witt, Gosman, and uh, Lowe. And I don't know why Gunnar's not being put into there. Yeah. Gunner, I would take low out for Gunner. Um, I was actually struggling, yeah, struggling a little bit with the two high guys. I mean, do you take Altuve off there and maybe keep a Hunter Green or Lodolo if you're going for high strikeouts? Um, I'm not sure how much they're going to help you with wins. The safe bet is probably Altuve, Witt, Gossman, and Gunner Henderson. That's probably the safety uh, of what I'm going to pick here, though I will admit, like, Hunter Green is kind of calling to me a little bit. Yeah, I, I think the thing to keep in mind is this is a $300 budget, so that's $40 more than your typical uh, salary cap budget. And the 30 or $40 will likely lead to, like that $40, my guess would be it likely leads to higher prices at the high end, more than an even distribution. That's generally, I think every marginal dollar added in a salary cap budget is more likely to go to the elite players than it is to the middle range or, or low end. So I think you probably see a decent amount of inflation here. And so in that context, like I have Gosman as a $16 player. I have Altuve as a $25 player, but I think given that these are probably decent values for them. I think Gosman 
more so than even Henderson is probably the the fringy one at the price that you're getting him at. But I, I would probably stick with him over Green. If I wasn't like winning, I would be tempted to dump Gossman for Lodolo. I'll just put out there. I'm a very big Lodolo fan. I think uh, long term his ability to maybe even outperform Hunter Green. I think Hunter Green in short uh, spurts maybe of this year are going to be a little bit higher fantasy-wise, but I think Lodolo long-term with the command, uh, the movement he puts on pitches, I think that's a guy that's going to succeed. So I'd be tempted, but there's also not a big price gap. There's like a $10 gap between those two. If it was like a dollar Lodolo and 18 Gaussman, it might be a little bit better, but um, probably the best players in here and Gunner over low. All right, more emails coming here. We've got this one from Pete. I am intrigued by the idea of a dynasty league, but have never tried it. I have done some research, and what I have seen is that leagues seem to fall into two categories. First up, uber serious leagues with contract terms, rookie drafts, etc., and then leagues that are really just keeper leagues. My home CBS league is a keeper league, but we can only keep two, creating another league that just has more keepers and doesn't really seem like a dynasty league. Uh, ba ba ba. That seems like, yeah, maybe it doesn't make sense. My questions are, assuming you play in one or more Dynasty Leagues, what format do you like best? And then I think my challenge is going to be finding enough people to form a league. Other sites allow you to set up a league and then make it public to allow others to join. I have not seen this on CBS, but maybe I missed it. I I don't think you can make a, a free Dynasty League on CBS and then invite people, but mm-hmm. yeah, obviously I, there are ways I, here, to set it up. The thing... To keep in mind, the most important thing, arguably, for a dynasty league is you need long-term commitment because the whole concept of dynasty revolves around everyone operating in good faith that they are going to be in this league for the next five years, let's say. If you have someone join a dynasty league with no intention of actually staying in it, they play one year, they burn the future, and they go and win a championship and then quit the league, that kind of screws everything up. So, like, you, you need to be... You need to know that you have a committed group. And that's why, like, I think true dynasty leagues have a very high barrier for entry because you lose a lot of the things that make fantasy fun for a more casual player, namely the yearly draft experience, which I think is the the most fun part of the year. Um, and so, you know, I, I think like a hybrid dynasty league makes a lot of sense if you're worried about getting, in, uh, you know, enough people involved. Um, so that would be like, you have a salary cap, let's say. Uh, so my, my football league, we're transitioning to a dynasty format, but we're trying to make sure that there's still a decent amount of turnover every year to keep people interested, to keep people engaged, to have the draft mean something, and to have it so that you're not just stuck in 12th place for four years in a row. Nobody wants that. That's going to make it really hard for anyone to keep their interest. And so we have $120 budget. Your salary goes up $5 every year. You can keep as many players as you want as long as you're under that salary by the draft and you have enough to fill out the rest of your roster. So some players will keep four guys. Some will keep their whole roster. You know, it just kind of depends on what yours looks like. And um, I think that's striking that balance is probably the best way to do it. Yeah, I'll just throw in a couple things like uh, we've had what he was saying in the second question, Frank, I think was like keeping only two doesn't feel like a dynasty. So I I think that's what he was alluding to. But there's like a hybrid version. I've done a hybrid version in a home league before where it was 12 teams. We would keep 10. We would have a five league minor league system. And then every year we would just add to the minor league system. So you'd keep 10. So that's kind of like this hybrid between dynasty. Other things we would do as well is like um, give two years of free keeper to those minor leagues when they come up so you don't just lose them and then you could just keep however many you want but there's a million different ways you can do it uh 12 team is probably your way um you i think minor leagues are pretty critical here you don't have to make it as complicated as possible um a great way to do them is kind of like what towers was saying like you do an auction you could have money you got to keep this much but at the same time you also just don't have to you could just draft you can keep Mm -hmm. forever or you could say five-year caps on the players and you could do minor leagues across the board and cbs can uh, obviously it's one of the best platforms to do it. So there's just no perfect way to do it. But I would say like, if you're dipping your toes into it, maybe start with the hybrid, you know, maybe start with like 10 to 12 keepers and a 12 man and have a small minor league draft that's separate system that where the players can come up. Maybe you could start from there. If you're not comfortable doing the like hardcore serious, like, you know, I'm doing, I was just telling Frank, I'm doing not no draft on, uh, on uh, fan graphs right now. And it's like, 
contract. There's like salary cap contracts and it's an auction and we're in a slow auction after a three hour start. It's like crazy stuff. Maybe that's not for you. So just make it as fun as possible. So you don't want to dip out and no one else wants to dip out. All right, we've got about five questions left, so let's kind of run through these rapid-fire style. This one's from Matt. I'm interested in your thoughts in a Keeper League 10-team headset categories with no limits on how long you can keep someone. My 10th and final Keeper spot is coming down to Eloy Jimenez or O'Neal Cruz, two players who are both in my breakouts column this year. Uh, it's a close one. Eloy, I'll make it quick. I'm gonna. I'm sorry, not Eloy. Uh, O'Neill. O'Neill is the one I'm gonna take here. It's quick enough. I'm gonna go with the upside. Uh, Eloy is fun. Lots of injury problems. Where he's gonna play long term? If this is about keepers, it is easily O'Neill Cruz for me. Yeah, I think uh, Eloy probably a safer bet for 2023, but the the upside is clearly on O'Neill Cruz's side. This one's from Ryan. I can keep either Jeremy Pena or Vaughn Grissom. The cost is the same, $6 for either. Which way would you go? It's a 13-team roto that counts hits, runs, total bases, steals, and RBI. I think Pena is very boring fantasy player, but in this specific format where it's just counting stats, the guy who's a gold glove caliber defender at his position who's already locked into an everyday job, doesn't have to compete for it, doesn't really have much chance of losing it, I think he's the clear option here. Even if I think like Grissom, the upside is a lot higher for me. I agree. It's, I mean, I like the stolen base upside with Grissom, but I still think there's questions long-term about the hit. Obviously, Pena kind of came down a little bit. The playoffs was a big boost. With total bases involved, there's like another extra advantage for him as kind of a home run guy. So I, th- I think he covers four of your categories really well. Don't worry about the stolen bases as much. I do think it's closer than maybe it feels, but I would go with Jeremy Pena as well. Yeah, I think the hope is that you want Grissom to kind of turn into what Jeremy Pena did just last year, right? 253, yeah. 22 homers, 11 steals. Maybe there's a little bit more upside uh, for Grissom long term, but Pena just did it. So I I think I would just stick with him too. both on really good teams with the Astros and the Braves. This one's from Nicholas. I appreciate your good advice on draft strategy and follow it in most leagues with good results. But I am in a couple of longstanding points leagues where most owners remain pitching happy. Uh, Typically, at least a dozen starting pitchers are gone by the end of round two. Which do you think is the better way to react to this? Follow the herd early to scoop up at least a couple of top starting pitchers or lock in stud hitters in scarce positions early in the hope that there's enough pitching depth to assemble a decent staff in middle to late rounds. Towers, I feel like this question is right up your alley and that's why I put it on here. Yeah, I'm I'm a contrarian by nature, so I'm going to want to zig where everybody else is zagging. I I just, the, the way I always put it is, if everybody, if nine of the teams are drafting one way in your league, you have to draft that version of that team better than nine other people. Whereas if if only three people are going to go hit or heavy, you have much less competition for the types of players you want at every point in the draft. So I, I would go with the the opposite of what most of your league mates are going to do. And if you're going contrarian, I think it makes it easier to make trades further down the line too, yeah. because if you have a loaded lineup of hitters and someone winds up with, Hey, a bunch of good pitchers. And it turns out, all right, that's a pretty good match. You know, you can maybe make a trade uh, further, further down the road. So that's, that's something that I like for this as well. This one's from Tyler. Can keep two of these players in a points league. Hitter strikeouts are not worth negative points. Michael Harris, Corbin Carroll, O'Neill Cruz, Miguel Vargas, Shea Langoliers, and Drew Rasmussen. Corbin Carroll, for sure. Uh, I want to say Michael Harris, but it, Mike, but O'Neill Cruz is really interesting and in not being affected by this. Yeah. Uh, but O'Neill Cruz kind of digs down in points. I, I'm, I, this is a struggle, man. Um, I think I might lean, I think I might lean O'Neill Cruz for the power and the not negative for the strikeouts, but you know, Michael Harris is going to collect a lot of hits and I like, I would say him in a head in like a head to head or any type of categories format here. It's really, really close Do you towers. Are you with me on Cruz's number two? Do you think it's Harris? I I think that trio is really close. I I probably go Harris and Carroll though. Okay. It's safer. It's probably a little bit safer. It's just the power numbers are going to be exponential with Cruz. If he pans out over, over uh, Michael Harris. And three are incredibly fun. I mean, there's no doubt about that. So I think regardless, you're going to have fun with whoever you keep, but it it is very close. I think I lean Harris and Carroll as well, but mm, 
It's a good problem it's to tough. have. This one's from Matthew. Billy, happy and sunny. Billy, happy and sunny. Oh, uh, happy Gilmore? Yeah, these are, you know, the only three movies I've ever seen, obviously. In my 12-team <laughs> yeah. head. What's sunny? Is that? Uh, that was the, the trainer. I think the golf trainer. Uh, who got but the alligator, isn't it? I think he was the name of an Adam Sandler character. Yeah, isn't that Big Daddy? Yeah, Big Daddy, yeah. Big Daddy. Oh, these are just, yeah. uh, okay, Adam Sandler character. Okay, yeah, 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 I gotcha, gotcha. Yep. In my 12-team head-to-head points league, we keep four players for only two off-seasons with a round penalty each season. Help me decide my last two keepers. Joe Ryan in the 15th, Aaron Ashby in the 19th, womp, Michael Kopech in the 11th, and Patrick Sandoval in the 16th. Uh, I think it's got to be Ryan and Sandoval. I'm Ryan and I still might be Ashby in this just if like he gets through it this year and then you got a 19th rounder, but it's only for two years. Oh, God. Yeah, it's definitely Joe Ryan uh, and it's not Michael Kopech. Yeah, I mean, I I guess I lean a little bit Ashby here, but I get Sandoval is probably makes a little bit more sense. There's probably still more upside for Ashby than there is for Sandoval. Sandoval gets a lot of strikeouts, but the whip, the walks are a complete disaster. Yeah, I agree with Joe Ryan. I might take Ashby too, but that one's close. You want to listen yeah, to me close. and Welsh, you take Ashby. You want to listen to Towers, you could take uh, Patrick Sandoval. We're going to wrap there. Mailbag is in the books for the Chrissies. Welsh and Towers, I am Frank. Thank you all for listening and watching Fantasy Baseball today. We'll be back again on Sunday. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.